Father, we thank you that you love us so much that you want to change us. And we thank you, God, that you have given us your word. Jesus prayed, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. So God, we pray in that same vein today that you would make us holy by your word. God, we we give ourselves to you now as we open your word. Would you fill us with the Holy Spirit? Would you strengthen us? And God, would we obey? And may it all be for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we're continuing our walk through the book of Romans here at Cornerstone Church. And the passage that we're at today in chapter 12 starts off by saying, love must be sincere. And I read one theologian who said that this probably is a heading or a title for the entire passage. Now, what follows in this passage is a list of about 20 or so commands or pieces of advice. And in some ways it can feel a little overwhelming. It can feel like, whoa, here's 20 more things that I need to do. Uh, As if I didn't have enough to think about in my life, now here's 20 more things and we're supposed to obey all of them and do all of them all the time. And it can feel a little overwhelming. Um, Let me give you an illustration here. About five or six years ago, some relatives of ours let us use their lake cabin for a family vacation. And it was, a, it was a wonderful time, and we were very grateful that they let us use the lake place. We had, we had an excellent time. It was relaxing, and the, the cabin was wonderful, and the lake was wonderful, and our fellowship was wonderful, and all this. Uh, but along with them letting us use the cabin, they also gave us like this three-page sheet stapled together of things that we were supposed to do to take care of the cabin. Most of them were things that we were supposed to do as we were leaving. And it, it made sense. There were things on the list like sweep the floor. And, and of course, you know, why, why should we think that we get to use their cabin for four days and then they're going to come after us and sweep the floor? No, it was, it's our job. They, they let us use the cabin. It's our job to sweep the floor. And, you know, obviously, things like do the dishes and take out the garbage and all these things, it just made perfect sense that they would tell us to do those things. Now, there were some things on the list that maybe felt a little bit overboard. One of them they said was make sure to change all the light bulbs. And we noticed that there was one light bulb at the top of a stairway. It must have been like 13 feet from the stair to the light bulb. And I actually got up the ladder and tried to do it, but I decided uh, that day that I'd rather not die changing a light bulb. So, uh, <laughs> so I just kind of left that one in their court. But, uh, but, you know, looking back at that, it made perfect sense. It was a very loving thing for them to do to let us use the cabin, and it was the least that we could do to just take care of it as we were there and as we were leaving. Now, similarly, as we're going to walk through a list that, like I said, has 20 commands, or I'm also calling them pieces of advice because they're not all specifically commands. It's, it's the Apostle Paul telling us the way things should be. Uh, but I want you to remember that all of these that we're going to see today stem from love, from the love of of God that he has for us and therefore the love that we are to show to people around us and and to God himself as well. So I've entitled my sermon today Love Advice because these are just some great things for us to consider as we love God and as we love others. So yes, there are a bunch of things in our passage that we should heed, but at the top of the list is love because there is a very strong connection between obedience and love. Jesus said in John 15:10, If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. Isn't that interesting? Even for Jesus, obedience was a way to show love. So remember that as we walk through our list today, that, that we can obey God and show him love in, in the way that we follow these commands and pieces of advice. 
You see, God loves us so much that he rescues us from sin and death. He sent Jesus for us so that we could be brought out of death and into a new life. And in this new life, there are certain things that God tells us that we should do and not do. And they're for our benefit, but it's also for his glory as we follow them. So our passage today, like I've been saying, is built on the word love. And it's interesting to me to note how the word love has been used so far in Romans. Most of the time so far as we've looked at the word love, it's been God's love for us. Let me just uh, show you a couple quick verses on this. We're in Romans 12, so I'm going to show you a couple verses earlier in Romans. 5.8 says, But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And then also God's love in Romans 8.35. What shall separate us from the love of Christ? Do you remember the answer that Paul gave to that question? A four-verse long answer, and basically the answer is nothing. That's the love of God for us. He loves us so much that nothing will separate us from his love, and, and that he sent his son to die for us. But now in chapter 12, there's a shift, and all of a sudden we are supposed to be the ones who love. But do you see how it works? God has loved us first. And as, as he loves us, he also changes us. I, I love that last song that we sang, talking about how God shapes and forms us. He fashions us into the people he wants us to be. So God will fill us with love. And in that love, then we can love those around us. And, and Jesus himself told us we should do that. In John 13, 34b, he said, As I have loved you, so you must love one another. In fact, I would say that command is probably more difficult than any that we're going to see in our passage today. Jesus said, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. That's our standard. The love that Jesus showed for us is the love that we are to show to other people. But please remember, we don't do this in our own power. We, we should not look at this command or any other command in the Bible and, and think that we have to do it in our own power. Yes, we should obey, but we should obey in the power that God will give us and the strength that he provides. That's part of the transformation that God wants to do in us. We've been looking at Romans 12, and there's, I think the way I understand the book of Romans, I've mentioned this before, but you can break it into three sections, and the last section, I would say, is chapters 12 to 16. And chapter 12 starts off with this idea of us offering our bodies as living sacrifices to God. And as that happens, then we get to verse 2 where it says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And remember, that command is not a command that we fulfill ourselves. It is a command that God, well, it, it's a work that God does in us. We offer ourselves to him, but he transforms us. So again, we're going to be talking about love today, but please know that God will give you the love that you need in order to obey these commands. We don't do it in our own power. We, we don't transform ourselves because that would not lead to the life that God wants for us. God transforms us as we submit to him and keep seeking him. That, that's just a wonderful life lesson, not, not even just in regard to what we're going to say today, but just in general. As we seek God... He transforms us. And he transforms us into the image of Jesus Christ. It's a wonderful work that he is doing and that he promises to bring to completion. So again, in our passage today, there's going to be a bunch of things that our new life should look like. According to the gospel, there's a new way to live. And again, it all has to do with love. What is love? 
the world, <clears throat> the world would tell us it's a feeling. Have you ever noticed that the pattern of the world is to love people who are lovely or to love people who make you feel good? And I would just like to suggest that that's actually a very self-centered view. Isn't it ironic that they have taken the word love, the world has taken the word love and replaced it with this idea of something that makes me feel good? You know, yes, I would hope that there would be some good feelings of love along the way, but I would say that at its root, love is looking out for the interests of others. Love means seeing other people the way that God sees them and choosing to act accordingly. Love means going the extra mile to care for somebody, even if you get nothing in return. So true love looks to God and follows the pattern of his love. Now, just a quick side note. Uh, I wanted to mention this. Uh, for those of you out there who are considering who to marry, um, yes, pick somebody that you enjoy being around. Don't pick somebody that you don't enjoy being around. That would be ridiculous. Um, and yes, pick somebody with whose path in life lines up with yours. You're going to frustrate yourself if you don't marry somebody whose, whose path lines up with yours. Um, and most importantly, I would say, pick somebody who loves the Lord with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. But let me add this. Don't go into that relationship just thinking about what you can get out of it. Love is a choice, and you should enter into that relationship choosing to love that other person. And then let me talk to those of you who are already married. Uh, This world talks about falling out of love. But if we truly understand the word love, we don't fall out of it. We would choose not to do it anymore. So if you're concerned that you're falling out of love with your spouse, what I would say is choose to serve. Choose to view your spouse the way that God does. Choose to love. And and I would hope that that God would bring about the joy. I I know that he'll bring about the joy that he he has to give as we choose to love that way. But love is a choice. It's a way of life in which we choose to show God's love to those around us. So in our passage today, we're going to see about 20 pieces of advice, like I've said, regarding how to love. And we're not going to walk through all 20 of them individually. We're going to kind of go through this verse by verse. But what you'll see is that if you're going to truly love those around you, you have some choices to make. And there are some things in us that might need to change. So as we walk through this list, I want you to keep your your spiritual ears open to one or two of these things that you might need help with. At the end, I'm going to ask you an application question about that. So just kind of keep a, a little mental list going about what one or two of these you might need to work on. So let's read through this passage and walk through the advice and the commands in it. First, I want to read through the entire passage, Romans 12, 9 through 16. It's in your bulletin if you don't have your Bible with you. It says, Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Okay, so as I said, this passage starts out by saying love must be sincere. And the word sincere there is literally the word unhypocritical. Do you know what a hypocrite is? Uh, it's a word that, that 2,000 years ago described a person who put on a mask 
and, and played a, a part in a play. So they were pretending to be somebody else. But that's not how our love is supposed to be. We're supposed to be truly loving. We're not just supposed to act like loving people at times. We are supposed to be loving. And, and I would say the reason for that is that God is love. So as we follow him, he wants to make us more like him. We're supposed to be truly loving, sincerely loving people. So choose love as your way of life. Love for God and love for others. And again, you can choose love even if your feelings aren't there. Okay, then it goes on to say, hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Our love is to be discerning because some things are good for us and some things are bad for us. And as we focus on God and what he wants for us, he will show us those things that are bad for us and he'll also show us those things that are good for us. And we're supposed to reject the one and, and choose to embrace the other. So do you hate what is evil? Do you hate sin so much that you want no part of it? Now, I'd be a hypocrite if I said that I always lived that way, so I'm not going to stand up here and say that I do. Because all of us at times choose poorly. But what I can say is that I want God to transform me. I want him to do his work in my heart so that I do hate what is evil and cling to what is good. But you see, again, we don't do this in our own power. We trust that God will help us with this. And then we choose to obey out of love for him. And by the way, God's word will help you do a great job of discerning the difference between good and evil. So let's be people who constantly seek God, letting his word transform us and shape us and teach us how to live. Don't conform to the pattern of this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your minds. Okay, then verse 10. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. That first part talks about brotherly love because in the body of Christ, we are a family. Every one of us who has come to know Jesus as Savior and Lord has been included in this family, and we are brothers and sisters. So we are to choose to love each other. Now, that's different than saying, I love people around me because I like them. Actually, we should choose to love people even if we don't like them. So we're to be devoted to this kind of brotherly love where we seek each other and where we honor one another above ourselves. Now, if you're going to honor somebody else above yourself, that means that you have to think about them. That means that you should be placing their interests even above your own. That means that we should be choosing again to see people the way that God sees them. So easy to go through life just thinking about yourself or about myself. You, probably not you thinking about myself, but me, me thinking about myself. It's easy for us to go through life that way, isn't it? And I think one of the simplest things in, in application to this passage that we can do today is just think about others. Pray for others. Think about God and how he loves other people around us. It's a great life practice that will, I think, lead to more joy as we think less of ourselves. Okay, then verse 11. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Now, this verse is blazed into my memory. Uh, I'm going to tell you a story about this verse from my life. I was 25 years old, living in La Crosse, Wisconsin, and I was sitting in the living room of the place where I was renting, and I was reading Romans 12. And I remember coming across this verse and thinking to myself, I'm only 25 years old. What if I live to be 80? 
how in the world can I keep my spiritual fervor for 55 more years? You know, I don't always feel like I'm a person of great fervor. I'm kind of a, an even keel, you know, slow and steady, wins the race sort of a guy. Uh, although slow and steady doesn't always win the race. I lost plenty of races going slow. But, um, <laughs> lost one to a friend of mine going around Lake Alice one time. But there will be a rematch one day, and uh, we'll... We'll see about that. But anyways, I was thinking, how in the world do I keep my spiritual fervor for 55 more years? I, I felt like I don't have that in me to do that. And as I was thinking that, the phone rang, and it was my mom. And she told me that my grandma, who was exactly 80 years old, just passed away. And it was this reminder for me of, oh yeah, for all of us, whether, uh, unless Jesus comes back first, we're all going to come to that point in our life where we die. And it was just a reminder for me that I bet, you know, my grandma would have said, boy, it went by like that. And it was a reminder to me that that day will come, but it was also a reminder to me that God will strengthen us for each day. I don't need to live 55 years today. I just need to live one day today. And Jesus himself taught us in the Lord's Prayer that we should pray for our daily bread. He didn't teach us to pray for 55 years worth of bread. He taught us to pray for daily bread. So the spiritual fervor then that we are to have is fervor that we are to have as we serve the Lord. And many theologians have noted that the word spiritual in that verse is supposed to remind us of the Holy Spirit. That it is the Holy Spirit who will strengthen us to live the lives that we're supposed to live. So we don't live it in our own power. So if you're wondering how in the world you keep going for 55 more years or however many it is, trust God each day. Ask him for the strength to serve him each day. He's pleased to give it to those who seek him. Okay, then moving on to verse 12, we see three pieces of advice. We'll look at them one by one. The first one is be joyful in hope. We can have joy and hope. Did you know that? I, I think a lot of Christians walk through this life without joy, without hope. Uh, but we can have them because God gives those things to us. And hope is something that we can have because we have the hope of heaven. God has promised us a place with him forever in eternity that will be perfect. Do you think about that? Do you, how often do you think about heaven? How many times in the last week did you think about heaven? We really should be thinking about it. God has promised it to us in part because it is meant to give us hope and joy. Now, some people would look at us and say that we're weak for thinking of it that way. That, oh, you Christians, you just pretend that there's something coming at the end. I, I highly disagree. I think it's just the right perspective to have. To know that this life is not the end. That there's something that's much better that's coming. And God gives it to his children. To those who walk with Jesus by faith, he promises that, that inheritance. So we can be joyful in hope now. Isn't that interesting? Thinking about heaven and what God has for us can give us joy and hope now. So let's be joyful and hope. Now, that sounds pretty good. The next one sounds a little more difficult. Be patient in affliction. The Bible often warns us that we will face difficulties in life. Anybody ever faced one? <laughs> um, and there's more coming, by the way. How should we face them? With patience. Patience is something that is learned over time, I think. Patience is something that we get as we trust that God is in control. I think that when we, when we lose joy, when we lose hope, it's because we get so focused on ourselves. But if we have patience, we trust that God is with us. 
We trust that God is in control and the result in us is that patience, that endurance, that long-suffering that we can have to trust that it will be okay because God is with me. Regardless of what we're going through, we need to remember that God is with us and that He is in control and we can be patient. Whatever it is that we're going through, whatever difficulty you have now, you can trust God. But that's, again, something that we need to learn, something that we need to continue to practice. Okay, then verse 12 goes on to say, be faithful in prayer. Regardless of how things are going, we can pray. Prayer is a great way for us to show God that we trust Him, or even if we don't trust Him, we can say, God, I feel like I'm not trusting you very well right now. Help me with that. But we should be faithful in prayer, and to me that means that we should be consistent that we should be devoted to it. Or like it says in 1 Thessalonians 5, that we should pray always. So we should thank God when things are going well. We should cry out to Him when things aren't going well. Whatever it is that's going on, let's keep those constant lines of communication open with God. And as you pray, pray that God will transform you. Pray that He will transform those around you also. All right, then verse 13 says, Share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Uh, Both of these pieces of advice imply that we should be intentionally aware of the needs around us. It's so easy for us to turn a blind eye to the needs of people around us. Have you ever noticed that? Have you ever noticed when people have a need or ask you for something, oftentimes our first thought is, I wonder who else could help with that. But why do we do that? Now, I'm not trying to rebuke any of you in here specifically, but maybe just a general rebuke for all of us as Christians. Why do we do that? Why do we turn a blind eye to people who are in need? Is that the way that God treats us? Or is God pleased to help us in our time of need? Do you not think that God could strengthen you to help out in that time of need? I think that we should train ourselves, if we see a need, to think and to pray about whether God might be suiting us to help meet that need. So let's not pretend that other people's needs aren't our problem. I heard this this horrible quote. I think it was um, from somebody in India, but they said, other people's tears are just water. Like, isn't that awful? Like, if they're crying, oh, don't worry about it. It's not your problem. It's just water. Let's have the compassion of Christ. Let's share with God's people who are in need. And let's not just practice hospitality. The word there is actually pursue hospitality or to be devoted to hospitality. Um, In Acts 2.45, it says the believers gave to anyone as he had need. Let's help those around us. And, And honestly, I think that God will give us what we need to help others in need. And I think that he'll give us joy as we do that. So let's not pretend that other people's problems aren't our problems too. Let's see if we can help those who are in need. I don't think selfish people are the happiest people in the world anyways. Let's look out for the needs of others. And verse 14 says, Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. We'll talk more about this next, uh, in our next sermon because the next passage deals a lot with this. But basically this passage teaches us um, to love our enemies. And this is counterintuitive because usually when somebody persecutes us, one of our first thoughts is, how can I persecute them back? But we are not to curse. We are to bless. 
And I would suggest prayer is a great place to start. Praying for somebody is one of the most loving things you can do for them. Uh, it's not always the most loving thing you can do. Like if they're hungry, it's maybe better to give them food than it is to pray for them. But uh, in this case with your enemies, I think prayer is a great place to start because as you pray for them, you can gain God's heart for them. You can actually show the love of God. And wouldn't that be great if your enemies saw the love of God through you? Because I was thinking about this this week. If, if you have an enemy, they probably also consider you as an enemy. And wouldn't it be great if they could learn the love of God even from one of their enemies, if they could be humbled enough to see, whoa, God must really love me because my enemy just showed me love. So let's pray for them. Let's bless them. The gospel calls us to view our enemies differently. Now, now think about that. The gospel teaches us to view our enemies differently. Because the gospel teaches us that we were enemies of God. And how did God treat us when we were enemies to him? He sent Jesus for us. And if that's the love of God for enemies, that's the kind of love then that we can show to those who persecute us, to those who are our enemies. So let's love them. Show them the love of God. You can even pray that God would open a door for you to show love. Now that would be a difficult one to pray. God, help me to love my enemy. Like, help me to show love to them. Maybe we should be praying like that. And verse 15, rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn. This verse helps us remember that we're in a family, and in a family we share with each other's burdens, and we also share with each other's joys. That's just the way that it goes in a family. We celebrate when there's something to celebrate, and we give a hug to somebody who needs a hug. In Christ, we are family. So let's show sympathy or empathy. I always forget which one is which, but I think you can have both at different times. But whatever one it is, show that to people around you who are in need. And if somebody's rejoicing, rejoice with them. Buy them a Mountain Dew or something, you know. That's a <laughs> okay, three things then in verse 16. Whoops, oh, yeah, there we go. Verse 16. Live in harmony with one another. Literally, this says that we are to have the same mind as one another. And that reminds me of Philippians 2, where it tells us things like uh, we are to be like-minded with each other, that we are to consider others better than ourselves, and that we are to look not only to our own interests. And if that weren't enough, Philippians 2 then goes on to command us to have the same mindset as that of Christ Jesus. How's that for a difficult command? In all that you do, think the way that Jesus would think. That's really what we're commanded to do in Philippians 2. And it reminds me of this command, that we're to live in harmony with one another. But we don't just have harmony with one another, we have harmony with God. So we're, we're all of us together are supposed to think the way that Jesus did, and then God will bless us with that unity as we all seek him. He'll bring us closer together. Uh, so yeah, we're to have the mind of Christ. Uh, he came humbly. He came as a servant. So those are great ways that we can live as har- in harmony with one another, is to serve humbly. Okay, then the next part of the verse says, do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Or it could also be translated, like it says in some of your footnotes, be willing to do menial work. Either way, it's telling us that we shouldn't think too highly of ourselves, but that we should be willing to associate with low people. We all know, right, that our society kind of treats some people as outcasts, whether that's the poor or you know, people who have issues. And don't we all have issues? Um, 
society teaches us, you know, it's okay to look away from those people. But I think in humility, we should be willing to associate with those people. Willing to embrace them into our family, into the body of Christ. Willing to show the love of God to them. But then also, it could be that this verse is translated that we should be willing to do menial tasks. Meaning that no job is below you. That even if you're a CEO, you can sweep a floor. That uh, pretty much every one of us in here, I think, is capable of helping clean up after a fellowship meal, right? So, uh, so we've got that sign-up list upstairs. That if you want to help clean up after a fellowship meal, please feel free to do that. It's a great way for us to serve. And then the last part of our passage today says, do not be conceited. Literally, it says, do not be wise according to yourself. Which reminds me of Proverbs 3.7, which says, do not be wise in your own eyes, fear the Lord, and shun evil. Isn't that interesting? Our eyes shouldn't just be looking at ourselves and our own standards. We should be looking to the Lord. We should be learning from Him what we should do. We should be learning from Him how we should think about ourselves and others. And as we look to Him, He'll show us the right way to live. So, so don't be wise in your own eyes. Look to God. Okay, there's the list. 20 things you're supposed to do before you leave the cabin. And, and really, we're supposed to be doing all of them all the time. Overwhelming? Yes? Okay. Or should I add some more? No, we'll, we'll, I'm not going to add any more. But remember, God strengthens us through the Holy Spirit to do the things that he commands us to do. So yes, this has been a long list of things, but at the same time, God tells us that these things are good for us and they're for his glory and that he will strengthen us to do them. And I want to close today by reminding you that this is all tied into love. And then I want to ask an application question at the end. So love is at the heart of what it means to be a Christian. If any of us have come to know Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, it's because, why? God loved us first. And yes, we are supposed to respond in love to him, but let's never forget that he is the one who sought us while we were lost and straying. And then as we love God, he transforms us. Remember again, Romans 12, 2. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. As we offer our bodies to him as living sacrifices, he transforms us. He will give us the love that we need to obey these commands. And make no mistake about it, we need God's help. Don't try to do this list in your own power. First and foremost, seek God. He'll transform us. But as he transforms us, yes, we do have a part to play. Because you see, love is a choice. Love is a mindset. And we are commanded to choose the mindset of love. And that's not always easy. Sometimes people, other people, their needs annoy us. Or what they say or what they do annoys us. But even still, we are to act in love. We're to be patient when we're afflicted like that. We're to bless when we're persecuted. And again, this, this love comes from the love of God. So let's seek him. Let's follow Jesus. Let's obey him. Let's trust him to change us into the people he wants us to be. Let's love like God loves us. And then I want to close with the application question. This is the one that I warned you about before. Of the 20 or so commands or pieces of advice in this passage, however you count them, whatever you want to call them, which one or two might you need help with? So look over the list again. Uh, and as I'm talking, I'll give you permission not to listen to me. Just go ahead and read through the list, pray, listen to God, listen to the Holy Spirit. Which, pick out one or two of those 
that you might need help with. And again, I say, what do you need help with? Because we're not to do this in our own strength. We're to ask God for the help to do this. So yes, you should pray and ask God to transform you. Now I'm guessing if you're like me, you can easily pick one or two or ten or twelve from this list that you need help with. Because that's who we are as Christians, right? Let's never give this impression to people around us that we're so perfect that we don't need to work on anything. We all need help. So again, take at least one or two of these. Talk to God about it. Ask Him to transform you and fill you with His love and ask Him for the strength to obey and to follow rightly. Let's choose to love according to God's standards and not our own. But take courage. God will transform you. That's what he does. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you that you've told us these things. Thank you even more, God, that you have shown us your love as seen in the the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ and your desire for us to be with you. God, we praise you for that love. God, would you strengthen us to love that way as we offer ourselves to you as living sacrifices? Would you change and transform us and mold us and shape us into the people you want us to be? Would you please make us more like Jesus Christ? And God, we do thank you also for this list of commands and pieces of advice that we are to follow. And God, as we've picked out one or two or more of these that we need help with, would you help us? Help us to love our enemies. Help us to be patient in affliction. Help us to be sincere in our love. God, whatever it is, I pray that you would strengthen us. Would you reveal to us even what areas we need help with? And would you fill us with the Holy Spirit and strengthen us to live the lives that you want us to live? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.